Welcome to the World Class Coaching Podcast, where we promote the constant pursuit of development and focus on what really counts towards improving performance in elite sport. I'm Matt Dickens, and this is episode 11 of the World Class Coaching Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed James Baker on the back of the awesome Child to Champion Conference to share his work with teenage athletes at St. Peter's High School. James gives loads of great insight into their program, especially around common problems with school-aged pupils and maximizing athlete engagement. Then later on, I also review James Kerr's legacy, 15 lessons in leadership, and round up loads of jobs and online resources that are available at the moment. Hey James, how's it going? Hey Matt. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Sorry, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I'm really good, thanks. No problem. I appreciate the opportunity to to come and have a chat and talk about some of the stuff that we're up to at the moment. Awesome, mate. If you can just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Sure. So I started out um, on a sport and exercise science degree at the University of Gloucestershire back in. 2003, which I finished up in 2006, um, I quite foolishly at that point believed that when I finished my degree, there'd be some professional sports club waiting with open arms to welcome me in and, and take take me on in a in a job, which didn't happen. So I ended up doing a few different things and um, didn't really know what kind of direction I wanted to go or where the sort of options were professionally, um, and then. So I spent some time traveling. And then when I came back in 2008, I started on the, the UKSCA accreditation process, completed their workshops and started, um, started working um, as, a, as a personal trainer in a, in a fitness first in Cheltenham, um, working with people of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds and abilities and starting to you know, hone my skills as a, a coach and a practitioner. Um, and around the same time in 2008, I started doing some voluntary work with some young athletes in in local school, um, St. Peter's High School, which is where I work full time now. Um, but it started out initially as an hour a week working with a, a, a group of young rugby players. And from there, it evolved into working with some of their young tennis players. They've got quite a strong tennis academy there run by a guy called Kieran Montague. Um so I was there helping out with um, Ed Archer, who's a, another strength and conditioning coach who does some stuff with, some U, with the UKSCA. Um, and we were doing, he, he was kind of the guy that really opened my eyes to what could be done with younger athletes from a strength and conditioning perspective. So then later on in that year, I had an opportunity to do a um, an internship down at Bristol Rugby under Tom McLaughlin. Darren Hyde um, and uh, Andrew Petz, who were you know, three three great guys, three great guys to to learn from. Um, but I had six good months there in in that professional environment, and then went on to um, work full time with with Ed Archer at what then had become the Athlete Academy, which was a specialist company that started in two thousand and ten, dealing with. Um, specifically strength and conditioning for for young athletes so we spent the next sort of 
18 months to two years building the athlete academy and and programs in uh, a number of schools in the Gloucestershire area. I think we, we ended up working with about 12 different schools running after school programs, lunchtime programs, uh, some on site at schools, some off site at our facility, which was based at the King's home ground of Gloucester rugby. Um, and lots of, lots of great experiences working with Ed and, he set the bar super high in terms of standards as a, a strength and conditioning coach. And to say, um, that kind of, it was a great mentor to have and, and sort of guide me in the early stages. And uh, I, I left the Athlete Academy then in beginning of 2012 and, and set up my own company, Performance, and uh, veered away from full-time S&C for a while as I, as I started to build that business up. And did some other jobs to pay the mortgage and keep the food on the table for the little one. Um, that's now become two, but, uh, we, so then building performance, we were working with, um, young, predominantly it was young rugby players again, in and around the setup of St. Peter's high school. Um, we were, uh, it was actually, um, another ex-pupil and, and, and one of the professional rugby players from, from Bristol Rugby, Jack Adams, uh, we, we set up these camps where we were running essentially a rugby camp that was very skills-orientated, but then a camp, the other side of the camp was that I was running the S&C side, so we were providing quite a high-level experience for the, for the younger guys around what they should or you know, should be thinking about from a rugby perspective, but also what they could be doing off the pitch um, from a from a physical development perspective, and and then performance kind of evolved really from 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 that initial initial business into more. Um, I was doing more sort of one to one small group work with younger athletes and and helping them helping them progress physically again a lot of rugby players and a few tennis players in the, in the early days from, from the, the stuff I'd been doing with Ed down at the athlete Academy. And it was then being around in that school environment that um, the school had kind of noticed what I was doing with some of the younger guys. And we, we started having discussions about maybe what we could put in place from um, a youth S and C perspective. If, if we had the time within the school, uh, we had run a program already for them, which lasted about 10 weeks. Um, so we, we kind of had a, a feel for, for what we could do, but it was funding that was the issue in, in getting that running long term. Um, and then they offered me the opportunity, um, quite fortunately, to train as a as a PE teacher. So I did a, a similar to a PGCE, but it's uh, called School Direct. Um, so in 2013, I, I, I began the PE teacher training and then went on uh, in that year to, to set up what we now recognise as and, and talk about as the Elite Performance Pathway, which is a long-term athlete development system. And my time now is largely dedicated to, to working within that system. Um, and that's kind of where we are today. Hey, that sounds like an awesome journey. Been fun. Um, <laughs> uh, mate, we'll get on to your role at St Peter's in just a second but can you start by describing for us the current state of physical education and activity in UK state schools 
Um, I heard a little bit from Simon Brundish the other day or, or a couple of weeks ago um, for the listeners, and it's safe to say that at a primary level, he, he's not too impressed. Um, no. But what does that consist of at a secondary school level, and yeah, what does that entail? I mean, I think I think we're we're in, I think we're in a time where we're in a it's going to evolve and it's going to change. But and 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 certainly from our school's perspective, it's it's changed enormously in in the three years that that we've been there in in terms of what what we offer in addition to what you'd consider to maybe be a traditional PE curriculum. Um, but generally, what what it entails um, is it's it's a traditional games model. It's probably the same as when, when you were at school. It's certainly very similar to when I was at school. Um, you know, we were boys, we do rugby in the winter, you know, the first term. Second term, we do some football. Um, summer term, we do cricket, athletics, softball. The girls do hockey in the first term, netball in the second term, rounders and athletics in the summer term. And, you know, other other smaller activities in and around those gymnastics, basketball, um, tennis, those kind of things. But, you know, it's generally those major sports and looking at the content that's delivered and and the content that I was taught to deliver through my teacher training, it was very technical skills orientated, tactics orientated, you know, it's that technical, tactical work. Um, but not there wasn't really a lot of the physical development side, and and I think what became quite clear working in the school within a matter of months was that physically kids weren't up to what we were asking them to do in in many cases. Um, you know, I think I think we're at, we're at a point where you know if you look at the amount of time a lot of the students spent spend sitting down in their life. You know, I, I added it up for an assembly I delivered at the school a, uh, a little while ago. And, you know, you think you do, they do an hour. Some of them come 30 to 30 minutes to 60 minutes in on a bus. They're sat down after they've sat down and had their breakfast at the table. And then they walk from the bus bay into the school and they sit down in their form room for 20, 30 minutes. And then, they walk a little way, but then they sit down for 55 minutes. They walk a little way, a tiny way to another classroom and they sit down for another 55 minutes. Then they have break time and they go and sit in the dinner hall, a lot of them. They go and sit in another lesson. They might do a little bit of movement around at, at, at lunchtime and then they're sat for another two lessons. They sit home on the, sit, sit on the bus on the way home and then they sit down and watch TV or play PlayStation or Xbox, you know, and that, that's possibly describing the most extreme cases and there are you know kids that are doing a lot more than that you know at the other end of the spectrum but if we're looking at the general general you know student population a lot of them are spending quite a large amount of time sat down and I think that has quite an impact on the on what we can do in PE now I think you know, we've got to start addressing those physical issues or the physical competencies that they don't have before they can really start to access that technical, tactical stuff that, you know, is 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 required in games. But 
although we do have that issue where I think kids are less physically literate, I think, you know, the top end are kids that are accessing, you know, the, the, the program and the strength and conditioning side of things. I think our top end are probably physically superior to um, even, you know, some of the best guys that I can think of in my age group back at school. They, they couldn't do what some of the top end are doing now at 15, 16. So I think we've got quite a broad, we've probably got, what we've got now is a broader spectrum with with more kids down at the bottom end than the top end. But those that are at the top end are, can be pretty special from what I've, from what I've seen. I think, um, obviously with the growth of strength and conditioning in schools, I think, you know, we are, we are at a point where it's, it's starting to, improve particularly in the independent sector you know we've got guys that are quite a few guys that are doing great things around various independent schools um they've got gray williams i've heard doing great things down at millfield we've got joel tratt up at oakham um henry davis over charlton college um there's lots of lots of good guys and lots of guys that we met at the child of champion conference that are you know really pushing snc within schools um, but I think you know where if we're looking at where where it kind of is is that in the in UK state schools, I think we're at a point where you know there's not a lot happening in state schools. You know, we're we're probably one of only a few that are running a a, a, a you could call a significant framed framework or system. Um, but you know the ninety three percent of school age kids are in state schools so we're probably not catering for as many as we as we could be if we if we really saw that change at a, either a national curriculum level or um you know more guys getting in into the door getting their foot in the door in in the school setup it seems to me that um the government's model of physical literacy or the curriculum at least, doesn't really tie into what we as strength and conditioning professionals know as physical literacy. Like, I think their mm. idea of throwing, catching, running is completely different to our model mm. of squatting, hip hinging, lunge, yeah. like moving in general. Yeah, I think they've possibly just not gone back far enough to the basics. You know, they've gone to like, you know, jump, throw, run and everything else, but they've forgotten the component parts of those those movements that a lot of the kids don't have and I think one of the, one of the major limitations that I see in terms of you know the, the the development of this is that you know the people with the power the power to really influence the changes with the kids you know you can talk about physical literacy and you can talk about physical literacy to primary school teachers and you can talk about it to secondary school teachers but people are confused by it and they don't know what it is. And you're, you know, you're talking about teachers that have been in the profession, some of them 15, 20, maybe longer, a number of years. And they are fantastic teachers with much better understanding of pedagogy and a tremendous technical knowledge of sports skills. But the reality is, is their knowledge of physical development is limited in comparison to their knowledge in the technical skills or the knowledge of an S&C coach to build those building blocks up. 
And I think a lot of them don't necessarily have the confidence to take take that on and and kind of deliver it. You know, people are not saying that people are resistant to change, but it's something different that they've got to do to maybe that they have been compared to what they have been doing for maybe you know the last 10, 15 years. Um, so you know, but if we can get those guys to deliver something like you know the awesome stuff that Simon Brundish is doing in in primary schools, I mean that that would have a massive, massive impact. A massive impact. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. Um, James, can you just go on to kind of describe like your situation at St Peter's, um, the ecosystem you've got there, and the and the athletes that you do work with? Yeah, yeah, sure. So. I mean, my, my role at St. Peter's is, um, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm employed as a PE teacher before, first, first, and, first and foremost, um, a lot, you know, probably 50% of my timetable is, is dedicated to the strength and conditioning side. Um, so I'm doing, I'm doing both. Uh, it's kind of like a dual role, so I teach, I teach a range of things. Um, I teach exam PE, so GCSE PE. Got fifty kids that I teach that across two classes, two year groups. Um, I teach core core PE to a range of abilities from set three to your lower your lower ability groups up to set two, and obviously then um, I deal with the larger the larger proportion of what I deal with is is the stuff within the EPP, which is the, the you know what in in school terms we recognise as the gifted and talented groups. If you if you like those that are, are, are highlighted as as able and wanting to progress um, or, or have the potential to progress, so my my responsibility there is kind of growing all the time as the system's evolving. Um, to, to kind of give you a, an idea, we started out with five hours and five athletes across a two-week timetable in, in 2013. We're now up to 20 hours across a two-week timetable and 120 athletes. That's all built into the, it's actually in curriculum time. So we're, they, they attend it like they attend any other lesson um, in addition to their, their core PE. Uh, so it runs parallel to that and, and parallel to the extracurricular side, which which I'm also involved in. So I assist in, I run a football team in term two. I assist with rugby in term one. Um, and then I'll be doing some athletics and cricket and softball now this term as well. So it's a, it's a very broad, broad role, as I say, uh, probably 50% of it strength and conditioning, but it's been... It's been a real challenge and 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 eye opening in in the sense that it's allowed me to see way more of the athletes that I work with you know so I've been working with uh our current year ten rugby team i've been in help been helping out with them coaching them since they were in year eight they've also all been on the elite performance pathway since year eight. So they're, you know, they're three years into training, but I've seen them develop as players. I've seen them develop as athletes in a, in a, in a strength and conditioning sense. You know, and you, you see things out there 
that they're doing on the rugby pitch and you can start to, oh, okay, so they're not, you know, oh, he only ever steps off his left or he only ever steps off his right. So then I can, that can inform what I do more so in the, in the speed and agility work that we do. So I think, you know, the, before when I was working outside of the school, I'd, I'd see such a closed off portion of, of an athlete. You know, you just see them for the hour that they're with you in the gym. You talk to them about what they're doing from a rugby perspective. But unless you're actually travelling out to go and see them play, which isn't always easy when you're working and everything else, then, you know, you don't see that side. So I think being in the role that I'm in now it has, has definitely given, you know, a, a much broader scope and perspective on the athletes that, that we're working with and also gives you an opportunity to, to really sort of build some good relationships as they get to know you like a lot better when you're around more of the time than, than not. So that's, um, that's kind of my, my role at the moment. And you touched on mentioned like the ecosystem and, and that was kind of a, stealing a phrase from the, the legend that is Ian Jeffries from his, uh, his article in the UKSCA journal um going back a few months and all that all that kind of refers to really is you know the school as an organization as a whole and all the the levels that are within that you know the ecosystem within the school you know you've got your your governors of the school your head teacher your business manager your your senior leadership team your head of department your you know, we're, we're a department of 10 PE teachers, all of whom have been in the job a hell of a lot longer than me. So I kind of sit at the lowest end of the, the, the pecking order and still learning the way of the world, I guess, in, 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 some, in some senses. So, you know, it's, you know, if you look up through that ecosystem and even the PE teachers who in the beginning had a, a you know, a, a lesser knowledge of strength and conditioning you know you're working with people who don't know a lot about it and all the way up through that ecosystem an important part of the process and, and growing what we've been doing has been talking to them and helping them to understand what we're doing and you know critically kind of understanding that there is a framework and a method to our madness and we're not just in the gym doing whatever we want on a on a Wednesday afternoon or a Tuesday morning or whenever we're given um, but that there is a defined curriculum with objectives and, and content and you know that it's important that we're able to demonstrate the results to those important stakeholders within the within the organization to you know show the value of what we're doing. Awesome, mate. Um I know the whole S and C side of things is or the program has grown well quite phenomenally over the last couple of years you obviously started with very little contact time and, and now you've got a lot more um yeah. when you did have a a very limited amount of time with the athletes and pupils and obviously there was no previous development model in there at all like kind of yeah. where did you start and what did you prioritize um we just started training and doing doing stuff and you know, we didn't really, I had an idea. I just kind of followed a similar model to what I'd done with, with a lot of the younger athletes that I'd worked with on a, on a more one-to-one basis. So there was, there was me and five, five, five guys starting in the September. We, we started out, we just did some really basic testing. We had no high tech equipment. We just were like, right, okay, we'll, we'll try and track as best we can the changes that come out of this. So we did, 
Um, we did a standing broad jump. We did a vertical jump using, I think you may have still seen it on the wall when, when you came down to St. Peter's the other day, but there was like a, a masking tape, which I marked out, sent to me a marks on with a, with a marker pen. And that was our vertical jump. And then we did, we managed to beg, steal and borrow some, some speed gates from the Uni of Gloucestershire and did a little bit of speed testing at the, we only managed to get them at the beginning of the year and the end of the year, but it allowed us to kind of track, track a little bit of where they were at. And, and then we did some simple sort of maximum aerobic speed style testing with just a, a kind of five minute shuttle. And we put some markers down and we, we started to track some, some, we didn't really track any sort of strength scores to begin with. We just got them learning the technique and I knew from the work I'd done with Ed and, and everything else that, you know, we know that strength is the is the driving force behind a lot of our, you know, the foundation that we want to build. So we we, we focused on just getting stronger and, and learning how to train, really. You know, learning the technique of various forms of squat, beginning out just with, we were using plastic, plastic poles and wooden broomsticks to, to kind of teach them the movements and see if they had those movements, did some some basic sort of, movement screening that we were able to do because the group was quite small. So using simple overhead squat screen and that sort of thing, just looked at trying to establish whether, whether I could, whether they were able to get into the sort of right positions and the right shapes to be able to start getting them stronger. We did quite a bit of flexibility work addressing the issues of, you know, um, I've seen it referred to as the sitting disease by Gary Schofield on Facebook earlier on, which I thought was quite a good, uh, quite a good sort of um, phrase. But you know the, the the flexibility issues that come with spending a lot of time sat down, tight hamstrings, tight hip flexors, and doing all those things that you know we need to do to then be able to get strong. So then, then from there, it was it was we just focused on doing the strength work as as well as we possibly could, and just we spent we spent most of our time. Squatting, pushing, pulling, lunging, hinging, basic core work. Um, and, and we probably spent sort of three months kind of driving driving that up to Christmas. Um, and then from there, we just, we pretty much just kept it very, very similar to that. We, we, we didn't really change a lot, but we focused on doing everything as well as possible and just doing the simple things simple things really well and then we began to introduce around that we started to do like linear linear acceleration stuff so we'd, we'd start out in the sports hall um where we were for child to champion and we we started doing our basic stuff wall drills a drills marching skipping bounding work um resisted sprinting with harnesses resisted sprinting with you know, bands free sprinting incorporating um basic jumps and throws then for for power a power stimulus um you know box jump broad jump all those good things and six months of of doing basically those 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 three things um lifting heavier sprinting and and jumping and throwing stuff around and by the time we got to March and we and we started doing some retests, we were we were like, wow, these kids have really come on. And we had one guy who's like vertical jump had gone up 
something like 17 centimetres and his broad jump had gone up, I think, 38 centimetres and he'd started to transform in terms of the way that he was playing on the rugby pitch and the teachers then started to take note and say, like, what have you been doing with that guy? What, you know, we were like, he's getting strong. You know, he's, he's being powerful and he's, and, he's, and he's sprinting. Those are the things he's doing. And they were like, well, he's, you know, he's gone from being like an uh, unselected substitute in year 10 to by the time we were through into the following Christmas, he was starting fullback for the first 15 at, at just 16 in under-18s rugby. So there were those kind of cases then which started to convince people that what we were doing was, you know, really powerful and we had the had the opportunity to really transform some young people's lives from and, and their experiences that they were having in sport by giving them a real strong physical grounded. Well, I guess those results must have really spoke for themselves in getting buy-in for, for what you were trying to achieve. Yeah, I th- and I think... That was, as I said, that that was a that was a big part of what kind of convinced them that you know we could we could really make something of this, um, and and the fact that that one that one guy wasn't alone. We had five guy five uh, five people in the group, two girls and one lad the three of them really engaged with the program the other two were kind of like on the edge and didn't kind of get it and I probably didn't do the best job of helping them to get it because I didn't really I was still learning very much as well and my approach now is is quite different to to what we were doing so you know three of the five became monsters really you know and 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 as much as the the one lad was was phenomenal the two girls were just out of this world from a physical perspective from anything that i'd ever seen with with you know two the way that these these two girls were 15 16 and they trained like absolute machines you know they were by the end of the year they're both squatting in excess of their body weight and out jumping and out sprinting a lot of the boys and they you know full full pull-ups and deadlifts and cleans and jerks and it was just like wow these this is this is something special for the female PE staff and the male PE staff to see the way that those those two trained and they were like okay this is this is this is this is potentially something really special that we could we could kind of pull together if we can help it to grow but in terms of the buy-in as well what we'd started to see was you know as I say, in the March when we did the retesting and, every, and we saw these physical changes, by between March and July, then we gained five more kids on the program who were like, "We want some of this. You know, we want to come in and we want to we want to get stronger. We want to get faster." So we went from five to ten in the space of three months after that that fitness testing. I think it was probably within a month because they were with us for sort of the back end of the year. And so, so the result we we kind of let the results speak for ourselves. Um, and I've rambled on a little bit there, but we, we pretty much just prioritised getting stronger, doing the basic stuff really well, basic sprint drills, jumping, throwing, being explosive at certain points as well. 
Awesome, mate. Um, I'm going to come back to that athlete engagement side of things in, in a second because I think it's really interesting and I think you've got some fantastic philosophies on that that about the child's champion. Um, yeah. Just one thing you mentioned a bit earlier, and I know you've, you've touched on it already, um, is this whole kind of the, the issues that the pupils had um, yeah. with that postural and, and you called it like a, a sitting disease. Um, yeah. is, are there any like quick bits of advice for other coaches out there working with similar populations? Like how, would, how do you tackle this sitting disease where kids are sat down all day, hunched over, and, and what would be your go-to way of um, kind of fixing that? Um, I've explored a ton of different ways and I don't think it's ever 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 straightforward and when you when you particularly when you're dealing with younger groups and you know there's young groups of 11 to 12 year olds I deal with that you know 20 plus in number to me as a single teacher and and trying to get them to stretch and do things is not easy by by any stretch but I mean I, I what I try and do is hit movements hit training movements that begin to solve those problems so one of our kind of go-to exercises, I wrote a little blog on it a little while ago, is we used to try and start with squatting. And, and now I don't really, isn't what I find, I do start with squatting to have a look at them, but often what I find is actually the quickest way to sort of fix some of the, particularly if, you, if we're thinking about the, the torso, and the they struggle with extension through the, the spine, the thoracic spine. So we actually use a kettlebell deadlift as one of our early movements um, and top down. Like, so they would, they maybe take the kettlebell off a, off a box, you know, one of our box jumping boxes, stand up, retract their shoulders, and then just, just, just sit down with the kettlebell as low as, as low as they can whilst maintaining a good posture. And then we just cue them back up and we start building a range of movement using, using the, the kettlebell deadlift that they it's basically just picking a movement that they can do well. Um, partly because as I say, when we start to build that strength and extension, they can then, they seem to then be able to transfer that extension into the squat and hold that position in the squat. But also, you know, I've seen kids who can't squat, try to squat and just get frustrated as hell. So it's almost like allowing them to have this success with the kettlebell deadlift allowing them to get stronger in that movement whilst we try and solve some of the other flexibility issues. So, you know, if we can see when they're squatting, it's like a, a calf issue, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll target some flexibility work with the calf, give them a little bit of some exercises, tell them they need to kind of go home and work on in their own time. Or if it looks like it's something with the, with the, with the, you know, the, the hips or the hip flexors or the glutes, then we'll, we'll target those muscles. We just try and target what the what the big problems are, and either integrate that into cool downs or or in warm ups or in between sets if it's quite obvious that there's you know something something affecting the technique within a certain movement. We'll just say right, okay, rather than standing there twiddling your thumbs or you know turn around and find them like swinging off the lap pull down or trying to get a sneaky set of bicep curls in we're like no we've got to solve this problem do do this stretch for the next 30 seconds and then you're back in and ready to go again so you know i think you could probably go on forever and a day about different exercises to kind of fix those problems um but 
um, sometimes how to kind of integrate them and get them to do them within a within a session is 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 the big challenge. Awesome, thanks, mate. Um, so yeah, I said that we talk about athlete engagement um, because yeah. one thing at the Charles Champion conference was that I was I was really impressed with how much emphasis you put on that. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of the pupils like choose to be a part of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe for us a little bit about your approach um, for athlete engagement and your best advice, perhaps for other coaches in a similar position? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um... I mean, when we when we set out our objectives for the, for the system, we knew we you know we've got within a school setup. You know, I, I truly believe that a school is just an ideal environment for developing athletes. Now, it's where else do you get seven years if you're talking about a, with a sixth form? We've got from year seven where they're 11, right through to when they're 18, and they're on-site, in school, six, seven hours a day. We've got lessons, we've got lunch times, we've got after school. It, it's a phenomenal opportunity that we can, we can have an impact with and if we use some of the curriculum time to, to kind of dedicate to those things. But uh, like I said to you a little bit before, uh, before we started the recording was, there's also certain challenges that that amount of time throws up. And, and I think when you've got some, a kid who's 11 that doesn't necessarily understand the big picture to begin with about strength and conditioning um, and, and necessarily a, able to connect the dots between what you're asking them to do in a session and the benefit to them on a sports pitch, you know, having, helping them to understand and engage with the program becomes a priority because if you've got them for seven years, you've got to keep them engaged for a long time. Otherwise, you know, the latter stages of your program aren't worth the paper that they've written on. You know, if, if we've got a kid who we get for six months in year seven, we bore the crap out of him with squat technique for, for six months. And by the time he comes back in year eight, he's like, I don't want anything to do with that EPP anymore. It's boring. All I've done is like squat and stretch for the last six months. Mum, don't make me go back there. Mr. Baker's really boring. So, you know, that that's the kind of challenge. And I think we've we've got to try and make it interesting in order to to keep them engaged in the program and keep them training. And we engagement is our is like our is our, our number one priority in that we want the kids to want to be there. Um, and then number two is establishing the culture within within that group that it is a culture of hard work. It's a there's a there's a work ethic to it, and understand that we're going to ask them to do things sometimes that aren't necessarily easy for them to crack. They might be, you know, a very talented footballer who can put a ball on a sixpence or do all these tricks, but then you ask them to do some simple tasks sometimes like a basic ankling drill and they look like they, you know, they want to cry with frustration because they can't get it, but the kid next to them is, is is nailing it. And I think those, those kind of things are, are are important for us to to try and tackle with, 
within the within the system and, and knowing what strength and conditioning is like and how much work you have to get in to to kind of make the progress to to sort of build these elite levels of fitness you know you've got to be able to do the basics very well over a long period of time consistently and i think without a culture that is conducive to that you, you'll struggle to get results and 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 secondly you know if they're not engaged you won't get the consistency to to get those get those results so and then in terms of in terms of how we how we engage them i think there's it's probably it's not really just sort of one thing there's loads of things that i think kind of pull pull together i think i think a lot about sort of the self determination theory of motivation which kind of states there are three areas that sort of foster intrinsic motivation to do anything and one those three factors are autonomy so that there is some some degree of choice um relatedness and competence so in terms of autonomy you know they they have a choice in the very outset to to come and join the program you know they're not forced parents make the decision with them as well so they are you know they are they are choosing to be there and then within within sessions we have choices around different parts of activities we allow them to choose an exercise in the warm up today stolen silent simon brundish's animal warm up and it was like right pick an animal oh we're leopards how does how the hell does a leopard move and then they they demonstrate the leopard moving and everyone does the leopard and you know so there's there's elements of the sessions where there there are there are choice of of how we kind of do things okay how are we going to you know another part of the lesson that we did today was was relays and we were sort of looking at at combining jumps into sort of sprinting stuff so you know the change different change of direction tasks and and different things like that and I was like right how are we going to do the next one how do you want to do the next race show me something new you know and they were like oh we're going to hop we're going to hop all the way down. And then when you get to the hurdle, you've got to hop over the hurdle and you've got to switch your legs in the air and then land and hop all the way down to the rest of the hall. And then you sprint back, you know, and, and they've come up with it. And I'm like, that's really good. I'll steal that for the next lesson and do that with another group. So, you know, allowing them to kind of contribute to bits and have ideas, I think is, you know, and, and, and valuing their opinion around the way that we, the way that we do things and, 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 and just talking to them, you know, they're 11, 12 years old, but they'll be honest as hell with you if you ask them what a session was like. And that can, that can give you, I said to them the other day, and I, and I knew the answer. This was Monday. I said, to, I said to a group of them, these are year sevens. I said, be honest with me. I said, that session last week was really boring, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, it was rubbish. Uh, you know, and I was like, Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That hurts a little bit, but you know, and it was it was based around the, the very similar session to what we did in the Charter Champion Practical, where you know we were doing jumping through hoops, and we'd been doing it for a few weeks, and I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll squeeze another session out here. But it's almost like you you've got to find different ways to do the same things. You've got to kind of disguise stuff with some of these younger guys to keep them engaged. So. We did jumping through hoops, and then at the end of the last hoop, there was like one of the big gym ropes, and they had to jump to the rope, swing through, and land in a hoop the other side. 
And just adding in that one thing was like transform the lesson. They were like, they they just jumped through hoops exactly the same as the other day. They So I ticked my objective in terms of they've done what they need to do, but they got to swing on a rope. Sat down at the end of the lesson. How was that? That was amazing. That was like the best <laughs> lesson we've ever had. And I'm like, it's the same lesson as Monday. There's just like a rope in there. But, you know, and that is it's that kind of, that kind of thing that that's great you know when when those kind of things work but like I said I think you know a big part of it is is being able to have that conversation with them and, and talk to them and not be like oh yeah the you know this is strength and conditioning and, and this is what we need to do you know you you've got to jump because this is going to have this benefit and I think them understanding why we're doing jump training and things like that are important uh, why we're doing plyometrics and, and the benefits of them but I think you know, and, and and they do get that. You know, I talk to them about that, and and they do get why we're doing it. But it doesn't make you know when it's like super structured textbook style, you know, and you and you're trying to do that week in week out with them. When you see them like these groups, I see them twice a week. You know, they're like, oh, man, I'm bored. And and I think we the challenge then is is kind of how we, as I say, disguise training to to keep them engaged. You know, talking talking to them is a huge thing, and, and I'm big on sort of building relationships in any sort of instance where you're where you're working with with athletes. But um, you know, talking to them, understanding understanding them, and 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 that that for going back to that self-determination theory, you know, the relatedness relatedness is relationships between an athlete and a coach, or being able to relate the content of a session to them. Like what's in it for me? What am I doing with it? So you know, starting out your session, start with why. You know, that Simon Sinek talk. If you've seen it on on TED, you know, start with why you're doing something, not what you're doing or how you're doing it. Why are you doing it? And they appreciate that. And then you know, at least they've got a chance to start connecting the dots and appreciate the big picture of what strength and conditioning or long term athlete development or physical development can can offer them. Um, so you know, relate as I say the relatedness. Then so tackling tackling relationships and being able to relate what you're doing. Um, on on top of that, side of things where you know you're you're talking to them about stuff. It's also like like I said there, the scenario I've described with with changing the training to kind of engage them is is listening to them and showing that you do care, like listening to people shows you care you know it's 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 that simple and they might be 11 12 13 or 14 years old but you know in their world their view counts and it's it's super important that we we kind of appreciate that that they you know, they do have a perspective on things and they do have ideas about stuff and you know it's okay to talk to them about what they like and what they don't like about what you're doing and you know giving them giving them an opportunity to to sort of talk you know there are points where there are non-negotiables about the way things are done sometimes we have to be more authoritarian than, than democratic in, in certain situations but you know, there's, there's a place for for all of those all of those styles to kind of come through um, and then on to like the last point in terms of the application of that self-determination theory is, is, is competence you know, and, and helping them to build competence in in movement and 
competence breeds confidence from 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 what I've seen and what we've created is is kind of a visible leveled system with with the, with the fundamental movements that um you know we talked about in the beginning squat push lunge pull hinge and we've kind of a bit like Simon Brendish is but with less levels to begin with I haven't obviously got as big an exercise library as, as as Simon has with some of his crazy superhero movements but um you know having a visible system that the kids can see and you know we started out at level one and I knew we were onto something when we had this this poster on the wall and between the exercises they were doing and we were asking them to do they were like running over to this poster on the wall and we're like I'm on level I'm on level one, but I'm, I reckon I can do level two. And they come back and they're like, what's level two? Show me level two. I want to do level two. So they do, they do level two. They're okay with that. And they're like, do you reckon I can do level three? I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I feel that strong yet. You know, and then they're like, what's level three? Show me level three. I'm like, okay, this, this level three, is, you know, it's like, it's like a full press up or a body weight squat or something like that. It's, it's fairly simple. You know, kids really started to engage with this system and they were like, you know, I, uh, I've, I'm on level four now. So they, they've got this growing sense of competence in their own sort of movement skills. And I think the time where the, the penny really dropped was we weren't even in a session. And there was, uh, there was a knock on the door at the P office, the P office and open the door. And there's one of the girls who's on the EPP and she's like, she's 13. And she was like, sir, I've just come to tell you. I think I can do full press-ups in the next session. I want to do level three. And I'm like, she's come to me in her own time to talk to me about, like, she reckons she can do press-ups. I'm like, this is a 13-year-old girl. I'm like, this, something's, something's working. You know, this is, this is good. So, you know, them being able to see that they're making progress, I think, is, is really important um, for them to, to engage because they're like, and that they can see that, you know, this squat leads to something else, you know, and one of the other ways that we have a visible system is that often some of the older athletes are, tra- are training at the same time. So, you know, one of our, with one of our year seven groups, the timetable clashes with the sixth form. So they were in the, they were in the gym and we were like, oh, one of them said like, oh, why are we always squatting? And I said, okay, so walk them through into the gym, just one of the girls I talked about a little bit earlier was in the gym and she was doing like squats or deadlifts or something and I was like you see that movement that you're doing with like a wooden pole and I said to the the girl I said what did you used to do before you were doing that deadlift with all that weight on like squatting with that pole like how did you get there uh we just you know three years of work you know and they and they and they're like you, you used to lift a wooden pole and now you're deadlifting like more than my dad, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, and you're a 16 year old girl, like, okay. And they, they begin to kind of trust you knowing that there's people before them that have, have walked the path that they're walking and, you know, they kind of trust that we can kind of talk with confidence that if you do these things, then, you know, this is where you're going to end up or this is, this is, this is what we're setting you up for, but we've got to do these things now to make sure that, when we get to that point, you're ready to do them and we're not going to hurt you or, you know, shorten your career or progress in, in, any, in any way, shape or form. Sorry, I realise I rambled on a little bit on that one, but hopefully that kind of gives um, a little bit of insight into, into the engagement 
side of things um, with uh, with it. No, mate, like I said before, I really get an, an honest sense that you've built a fantastic culture at St. Peter's and, and that shows in not just what you say, but how you, how you say it. Like, you must have a huge sense of reward for, for what you're managing to achieve there. I think that's great. Um, Finally, last thing I, I want to mention is just um, one thing that I saw at the Charles Champion uh, conference and I just thought it was absolutely brilliant talking about <laughs> athlete engagement and having fun. Um, and there's a certain video of a Mexican drop snatch um, yes. where you've got your kids around in a circle and and one after the other, they do a drop snatch and it's like a Mexican wave. Um, yeah. And I thought it was brilliant. Is there any way that you're able to, to share that with, with the listeners just so that people can see a, a slight insight into ha- how you have yeah, fun I, in your I, warm-ups? I'll, um, I'll, I'll have to, I, I meant to speak to the school um, to see whether we were okay to put that video out, but I'm pretty sure it will be, yeah. I mean, that, that's just, uh, I started doing that years ago, working with the swimmers down at the Athlete Academy. You know, we were, as part of the warm-up, we started doing, uh, they were doing like their general strength work you know they used to squat they did pull-ups they'd push they'd split squat they'd do all those good things but we started to use the warm-up time or the extension to the ramp warm-up so you do you raise activate mobilize and then the potentiation phase of the ramp we would do plastic bar olympic lifting with just some old plumber's pipe that we'd gotten from a builder's merchant <laughs> and uh i've still got and i even went back to the Plumber's merchant when I started at St. Peter's and bought another load of like plastic pipes. So the, the, the plastic pipe that you saw in the video is is yeah, it's, it's plumber's waste pipe for sinks and stuff like that. So, you know, any any e teachers or anything that are listening to this and thinking like, oh, it's all high-tech equipment, <laughs> it isn't, you know, they, we 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 do what we can with 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 cheap resources where we can and you know, we put our, we do invest in kit, obviously, but yeah, and we just, you know, we, so we were, do, we were doing these um, Olympic lifting warm-ups and, you know, I was trying to sort of get them to nail down, the, nail down the technique. And again, it's just like when you're working with them and you can see that, you know, that the eyes are a little bit glazed over or they're like, you know, they're looking around the room at all the other things that are going on around them and not really listening to you. And it's like, right, well, how can I get them to kind of engage with this? And, and sometimes little tasks that involve rhythm or, you know, a sequence or something like that, really get the kids to switch on. So, you know, although we showed you the Mexican drop snatch where they're all in a circle, we've also done like, you know, snatch from hip type Mexican waves, you know, and they're all like one after the other, like bang, 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 bang. And they get to the end and they're all like cheering when they've nailed it and stuff like that. And at the same time, you're like, well, I'm I'm ticking my box. You know, they're, they're learning a movement. And yeah, it's just, just, trying to be creative and kids love stuff like that they love stuff like that i love stuff like that but because i'm just a big kid because <laughs> the bomb. Oh, mate, so, so am i completely in fact my athletes have got drop snatches at the end of their warm-up um tomorrow so i might try and give something do very it. similar do it. honestly they'll, they'll I'll, I'll send you some videos and we'll have a little competition or something yeah i was thinking of one today actually i was, I was doing it as i'm going to do some with this with this other group and you know, if, we, if I say to them, right, because we play a load of tag games and stuff like that as well, part of our warm-ups, you know, we do everybody's ear, stuck in the mud. You know, and did stuck in the mud with like year 10 group yesterday. They came in, they, they like dragged their feet into the sports hall 
And I was like, man, these guys need, need we need to switch these guys on. We've got we've got to do something. And I was like, you know, these are 15-year-old boys, too cool for school if they're walking around, you know, trying to look, trying to look cool for everyone. And I was like, right, they got into the gym, into the sports hall, stuck in the mud. We're gonna play stuck in the mud. They absolutely loved it. They worked their socks off for five minutes. And then I was like, right, okay, time to warm up. Everyone was switched on and good to go. You know, but they did, whenever we start these tag games, the kids always seem to do this thing, which is like one knee. Last one down on one knee is the person who starts like the tag. So I was like, right, okay, well, maybe we could do something with that. So it's like, okay, we're going to do a drop snatch, but you've got last one to react and drop in the drop snatch. Is it for the tag game or last one to do like a lunge drop or all those kind of things? Okay, and, you know, just ideas, little ideas like that, just. Um, just can be great, good fun. Oh, mate, amazing. Um, James, we'll take a quick break there um, yeah. and come back with some short, sharp questions in a second. That's right. Yeah. Question time. This is the part of the show where I'll put a couple of regular questions to my guests regarding what rituals they have to optimise their performance environment, their go-to learning resources and their approach to influencing technical staff. Hey, James, welcome back. Um, time for a few short, sharp questions now. Um, number one, being, I'm a big believer in creating a positive environment and being a positive influence. Um, I guess this is even more important when working with youngsters, when there's even more emphasis on having fun. Do you have any routines or rituals that you go through to ensure that you're in the best state of mind prior to working um, I wouldn't say there's necessarily any kind of rituals or routines, but I'm I'm a big believer in being consistent, and I think kids respond well to consistency. And, and by that, I mean like you know that they know that they can kind of they can always kind of approach me, and that I'm not someone who like has like big mood swings, and one day I'm like. Uh, bit of an asshole and another day I'm like you know their best mate I always like to just be like consistent so they always know where they stand and you know whatever's going on on the outside at, at home or whatever I, I try and turn up with exactly the same mindset I mean I'm fortunate that you know I, I love what I do and I love the environment that I work in and I'm, I'm lucky to work with some fantastic people um, and some fantastic young athletes so I don't. I don't find it difficult to turn up to those sessions, that, and you know, I'm really passionate about what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. And you know, I turn up, and I want those sessions to be the best that they can be. And you know, I want them to. I want the kids that are there to, you know, understand that, that we're there to to help them. And that is, you know, the big a big thing for me is that, that is the consistent message and the message that they get are consistent the whole time that we're doing this because, you know, it's going to help you become better. And, you know, the, um, I think, you know, a, 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 you know, I guess it links back to that engagement side of things as well. You know, in terms of the environment, we try to create quite a task orientated environment, which I think is, it, it's, again, it's something which has been shown to, have higher levels of intrinsic motivation for your athletes um, over 
well, versus a, a you know an ego orientated environment where you're constantly trying to compare to different people, comparing athlete A and B, you know, and young people that are developing at a, um, at very different rates. I think if you can focus them on the task at hand, which is you know them getting stronger or you know learning a, a technique to do with the wall drills or learning a new you know coordination drill or whatever whatever it is you know if you can focus them on the task at hand and get them motivated to do that i think that that has a big big um has a big impact in terms of you know people being positive you know in some of the early in in the first year there was a lot of like comparison between oh so and so's jumping like that far you're you're jumping this far you know we need to we need to get you jumping further and i think that was that's possibly quite negative for for some of those kids that were you know at the at the later end of the development you know they're late developers or whatever and they're left thinking oh you know i'm, I'm not as good as so and so but actually if you just focus on getting better then i think that can have a real real influence on the the environment and, and how positive it how positive it is Hey, awesome. Thanks. Um, second question. Um, I know that one of the hardest job parts of the job, sorry, is influencing other members of the sports staff for SNC coaches, that is. Um, but obviously in schools, that's got to be quite different to professional setups. Um, who do you have to influence and how do you do that most effectively? Um, I mean, I, the, ultimately, the people that control the curriculum and control you know, the, the timetabling are the governors of the school. Um, that are, there's, you know, there's parent governors and I think some elected governors, some some that have been there for a very long time, possibly since I was there as a pupil many, many years ago. Um, oh, wow. So, so you're talking to, uh, you know, it's those kind of people, governors, headmaster, senior leadership team, um, you know the deputy heads and people like that. You know we have student support services um, that look after the the welfare of the kids that are involved in in a, in a lot of stuff. And you know we've over the last three years presented to all those people on on numerous occasions around what we're what we're doing. And I think it's helping them to understand what we do. You know that's that's critical, um, but understanding the benefits on on multiple levels not just the benefit to the individual athlete but you know what if you make a better athlete then and they succeed then that's great for your your p department you know they they they've got an athlete that's has gone through and gone on to a high level um or they've got a, an athlete that is performing at a higher level than previously and you know all of a sudden you create 15 athletes that are performing at a higher level and you put them in a rugby team, all of a sudden the school's rugby team starts performing a lot better and it's them understanding the positive impact of that. And then if you look at that as a school level, then the PR associated with a successful rugby team or hockey team or football team, that's that's good, you know? And then if you create a really good system um, that has the ability to really positively influence a lot of people's lives, then 
that that becomes an attractive proposition for for parents wanting to bring their kids to the school and 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 become part of part of something that can help their kids get better. So you know, it's it's about for understanding the benefits on 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 multiple levels for for all of those people and you know some of them aren't interested in the fact that little johnny's a quarter of a second quicker over 10 meters but they are interested in in some of those other things that that i'd mentioned awesome mate um honestly on that note like it sounds like you're making like fantastic progress at some pieces i really do hope that that system and that structure does spread to other state schools throughout the uk i'd really like to see that hopefully hopefully it will i think there's a growing body of people that want that kind of thing to happen um talking to guys at hartbury and guys at university of gloucestershire you know there are there are certainly people in in higher places than I that are trying to make that kind of thing happen. I think um, I think it's a long battle. I think we might be looking at five, ten years still to, to really kind of see that, that happen in, in the state schools. Uh, but I think the fact that the conversations are happening and people are talking about trying to, to make that impact is, is only a, you know, a, a positive thing. And the fact that there are lots of good practitioners in and around school setups now and the value of SNC is um is being much more recognized in that setting I think can only be be a good thing. Yeah I I completely agree. Uh, mate, a slightly easier one for you. If you can recommend just one website, newsletter, podcast and book to other SNC coaches, what would they be? Oof. We're in a the information age, we seem to be spoiled at the moment as SNC coaches. Everyone seems to want to share information with us, which is which is superb. You know, I think in terms of in terms of websites, um I've been on Hammer Media a lot recently, listening to Gamecast and and, and the guys on there and, and checking checking out their stuff. Um Another website that I stumbled across the other day is um, bushexnadersacksspeed.com. So I don't mention two there, but um, I, I've kind of started looking into his stuff because we've got him coming over to uh, the Athletic Lab conference in, in the end of May. And Mike speaks super highly of him um, in, in terms of how he's mentored him. So he's got some resources on there that I think, are, from what I've seen, are, are fantastic. and. Uh, so those um, those two guys. Uh, in terms of a newsletter, um, push newsletter is is really good. I'm quite interested on velocity based training at the moment. Got myself a push band and doing doing a bit like that. So there's some, there's some been some super articles by um, Eamon, Flan- Eamon Flanagan recently looking at RSI and and profiling that side of things. So um, their newsletter has been 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 really helpful um some stuff by dan baker there as well in terms of the velocity based training white paper or something that they've they've got there which is um which is which is really cool so they're putting out some great content so i definitely say as a newsletter that's um that's good and they're you know 
there's some cool guys there at Push as well, so they're definitely worth checking out. On the podcast front, I've obviously been listening into yours. Um, great stuff. Listened to the one with Rob Walsh the other day, which was great. Um, there are some, like we spoke about before, there's some, there's some podcast machines out there at the moment, aren't there? You know, Rob Pacey's hammering around. He's got some great guys on there and historic performance as well are, you know, they're, they're also, there's some, there's some good guys on, on their podcast too. So like I said, I think we're, I think we're pretty spoiled in the information age at the moment with all the information that's out there. Um, on the, on the book side of things, um, my kind of go-to resource at the moment is probably David Joyce's high performance training for sport. I seem to be back in and out of that quite a bit at the moment for, for various um, various different chapters. There's some um, some some top guys in there like Darcy Norman and the guys that are, you know, and you can see they're writing with experience of actually being in that environment. Uh, coaches giving their insight, and I love their little snippets of wisdom that they they kind of they kind of highlight within that book. So. I mean that is um they're probably the resources that I'm going to the most at the moment. Awesome. Uh, thanks, mate. Um just to point out, I'll mention it again later, but I just saw that there's uh Hammer Media actually putting on a conference, I think, in June or, or a one day seminar at Hartbury College. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, Ben Drury's involved in in that in the organisation of that. I spoke to them about that the other day, yeah. So that will be um that'll be awesome I'm, I'm pretty sure i might try and get along to that but. yeah i'll put up the full details for that in like a latter section of, of this show for sure. yeah um mate finally last question of the day um before i let you get on if you could give just one piece of advice to all aspiring snc coaches out there what would it be coach get out there and coach whoever whatever you can, you can, whatever level, whatever environment, every person that you encounter, whether they are man, woman, young athlete, you will learn something from. And I think, you know, I mentioned earlier on that I was, you know, PT in a, in a mainstream gym, you know, in the very beginning. And there's stuff that I learned from my time there now in terms of fixing people that spend too much time sitting down at office desks, you know, in sedentary lifestyles that, that I'm using now when I'm working with the, with the young athletes. And I think there's, there's nothing more valuable than, than getting out there and actually coaching. And, you know, I mean, just the fact that you asked me to name one website and one newsletter and one podcast, and I've reeled off probably, <laughs> you know, three or four of each. I'm sorry about that. I didn't really stick to the question. Um, but, you know, there's so much information out there that I think, you know, and, and one of the things I, if I, if I do anything, well, it's probably taking information and then applying it to my coaching or, or, and I think that's kind of the critical thing is, you know, don't just read about this stuff, make sure you're out there actually trying to, to kind of do it and, and trying things. And, you know, hopefully some of the, ideas that i've shared in, in the podcast kind of highlight that you know i'm trying things and sometimes things don't don't work 
but you but you learn a lot from that process of you know if the athletes hate your sessions or you know you um you know something doesn't quite work i think it's just it's really important that you're out there and, and trying stuff and you know if you haven't got if you haven't got anyone to train and no one's willing at this point in time try all the stuff out on yourself and you know go through that training process and then when you do get an athlete in front of you you can at least talk to them about the way that they're feeling or struggling with maybe picking up a certain exercise or drill you can say oh yeah and you know you're going to feel uncoordinated with that you know I felt like an idiot the first time I was doing it so I think just getting out there and yeah coaching and practicing this stuff is is the biggest thing that's an awesome piece of advice um james thanks so much for coming on the show today um can you just wrap up by telling people where they can find you on social media sure um so on twitter um at performance team um that's p-r-o-f-o-r-m-a-n-c-e team um and we've also got the performance website uh www.performance.pro um get my email and stuff through there. You can feel free to drop me a line if people want to ask questions or, or anything else. And you know, for anyone that's interested in, in the stuff that we did with the Child Champion Conference, videos and bits and pieces will be, will be cropping up on, on the performance site before, before too long. Awesome, mate. And um, I'm sure I'll catch up with you again before the next Child Champion Conference. Yes, um, But I'm looking well, forward to it you already. Your, uh, you weren't your place back at the conference next year by getting us trending on Twitter. We were only, we were only pipped by uh, resign David Cameron hashtag and hashtag Leicester. Wow. Oh, was, mate, it was an absolute pleasure. That was great. Really appreciate your, uh, your efforts on that. You're a one man tweeting machine. It was awesome. awesome. Oh, like you say, we live in the information age. It's good to, to share that information with other people. Um, mate take it easy and um, definitely catch up again soon thanks for the invite to come on really appreciate it my pleasure mate the relevant reading section is aimed to highlight one article that I've either read or written and believe is worth sharing with you guys it may be peer reviewed or it might not be but I will make sure it's relevant to coaches looking to develop and always get better. This episode, I'm going to review Legacy by James Kerr. 15 lessons in leadership and what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. I read this book about a year ago and I'm very happy to revisit it. It definitely makes my top five must-reads. As the All Blacks are currently back-to-back world champions, the most successful rugby team in history, and some would say most successful sports team full stop, there is plenty we can learn from a culture that breeds success. Indeed, since rugby turned professional, New Zealand have held a win rate of over 86%. James Kerr asked the questions of why they're so successful, how they do it, and what can we learn from them. So let's start with the first lesson, sweep the sheds. Never be too big to do the small things that need to be done. This one resonates with me. I'll be completely honest, when I first took my role in skiing, I saw myself as an S&C coach. That's what I was employed as. I trained and studied to be an S&C coach. I wanted to be an S&C coach and all my experience to date was as an S&C coach. 
I loved the gym and sports and believed my responsibilities revolved around that. Coaching movement, getting guys strong, preparing them physically in both the short and the long term. My idea happily included extra work around that. Cleaning the gym, installing equipment, travelling to competitions, you know, everything you'd expect really. At the time, I felt if I fulfilled my role, I was being a team player. But I was wrong. There was much more to it than that and it took me a while to grasp. Being a team player, sweeping the sheds is about doing everything you can to make the team work better. When something needs to be done, do it. It doesn't matter if it's in your job description or not. So now, I see myself as a facilitator. My role is primarily focused on physical preparation and I still call myself an SNC coach. However, it also includes the subheadings of taxi driver, chef, cleaner, counsellor, friend, motivator, ski assistant, masseuse, handyman and anything else that needs to be done to make the team work better. The next lesson is go for the gap. When you're on top of your game, change your game. We live in an ever-evolving world and I just wrote a post about adaptability so you can read a bit more about that on the website if you're interested. Play with purpose. Ask why. I also reviewed Simon Sinek's Start With Why on the previous episode, so this one should be pretty obvious by now. But there are a few lines that really stand out, namely, better people make better All Blacks. Alex Wolfe recently told me that a key motto of the EIS is that good people make good coaches. I wonder where he got that from. Pass the ball. Leaders create leaders. This is a principle my coaching has taken on a lot over the last few years, as I currently take a much more autonomous approach than I used to. I believe there's a time and a place for everything, and you make those decisions based on your environment and who you're working with. In the past, I've taken care of everything, from completing program sheets to putting weights away. But here, I try to give the athletes a lot more responsibility. When I arrived, they were young with a very limited training history. They had little understanding of physical training, let alone their own capabilities, and everything had been handed to them on a plate, as well as little sense of reward from hard work and a general lack of respect. They had a lot to learn. As you know, I believe athlete education is massively important. So I started with helping them learn about themselves. That meant that I prescribed reps and sets in training programs, but encouraged them to choose the loads to learn their capacities and what they're capable of, not just in general, but on a daily basis. It's not hard for young athletes to get strong, so programming doesn't need to be fancy. If you let them choose the loads, they can learn what they can do and when to push themselves. I made sure they put all the weights away after training and kept the gym clean. And when learning open movement skills like change of direction and agility, I took much more. I took a much more explosive approach let them think about what's more efficient, faster or better and why. Then guided them a little towards the technical model uh, that I had in mind rather than starting there in the first place. It's not always the quickest way to learn a specific sports skill, but they can learn a lot more about themselves and still have time to ingrain quality movement patterns along the way. Very much tying into that is the next lesson of creating a learning environment. Leaders are teachers. You may have heard me mention quite often that Ashley Jones refers to himself as an educator over a coach. I really like that. No dickheads. Follow the spearhead. Embrace expectations. Aim for the highest cloud. Train to win. Practice under pressure. Keep a blue head. Control your attention. 
from listening comes knowledge, from knowledge comes understanding, from understanding comes wisdom, and from wisdom comes well-being. I like that philosophy too. Know thyself, keep it real. Here comes authenticity, integrity, and being genuine. To know how to win, you first have to know how to lose. And for the All Blacks, to know how to lose, you first have to know who you are. We could talk about this for ages. Know your values, be true to them. Being honest with genuine intentions is an essential prerequisite in developing meaningful relationships and trust. If integrity is a central leadership tool and everyone in the team does exactly what they say they will do, clarity, certainty, productivity and momentum are the results. Champions do extra. Find something you would die for and give your life to it. Invent your own language. Sing your world into existence. Ritualise to actualise. Create a culture. Be a good ancestor. Plant trees you'll never see. And finally, write your legacy. This is your time. The All Blacks build and draw energy from their history and traditions and an almost spiritual connection to the Maori culture of New Zealand. You don't need that history to understand that these values, this belief system and commitment to a cause bigger than yourself just make sense. Embody these principles and it will show in your character. Be a good person and you'll be a good coach. Take that further. Commit to being the best person you can be and thus the best coach you can be. Some people question the name of this podcast. There's a brief story behind it. I once attended a presentation by Nick Grantham at a UKSEA conference in which he asked for everyone who wanted to be a good coach to raise their hand. Everyone did, so I played along. But I was hesitant. I wish I stuck to my instinct because I didn't want to be a good coach. I don't want to be just a good coach. I want to be an outstanding coach. And so this show is for every like-minded coach who wants to be world-class. I'm certainly not there yet. I'm sure very few people are. And if they are, I'd hope they're humble enough not to know it. But hopefully, this platform is just another small means to helping us get towards being world-class coaches. In the future, I'm going to be collaborating on the podcast with Rob Anderson of 40 Years Training. That way, I hope to give you even more insight and perspectives into how another coach thinks and applies what he learns to his coaching. I hope you'll find it just as useful and look forward to hearing your feedback. Now it's time to discuss personal development. In this section, I'll let you know of any up and coming courses or conferences that I'm aware of. I'll also let you know of any decent jobs or internships that might be out there at the moment. Firstly, I need to ask everyone again to make sure you fill out the UKCA's State of the Nation survey if you haven't done so already. It's the last couple of days to do so and only takes a few minutes, so please go out and do that now. Starting with learning resources, Cal Dietz and Matt Van Dyke have released the high school version of Triphasic Training for free, which was very nice of them. A great resource worth checking out and I'll put the link up on the website. Also online, Nick Newman, author of The Horizontal Jumps, has just uploaded his plyometric prerequisites and progressions on SlideShare. Again, worth checking out. Catapult seems to be putting out some great info at the moment in the form of practitioner interviews. 
Check out the interview with Grant Downey for an insight into his work at Manchester City. A couple of upcoming seminars then. Uh, the UK Coaching Summit is on the 7th to the 8th of June in Manchester, which looks like it could be a really interesting event. And on the Saturday, the 18th of June, AFC Bournemouth are hosting their first sports science student workshop. Tickets are only £30, include speakers such as James Bunce, um, and you'll need to contact Ben Bradley to register your spot. And of course, it's about time I mentioned the UKCA conference. Um, that's coming up in the middle of September. I'm hoping to attend, so hopefully see you there. And finally, I know there's loads of podcasts out there at the moment. And Rob Pacey continues to do an awesome job. Just need to highlight one other fantastic resource, which is James Darley's Historic Performance Podcast, also putting out some great content with awesome speakers. And considering that we started around the same time, he's racked up over 50 episodes already, so he's clearly doing a much better job than me. As for internships, both London Welsh and Leicester City internships are still available but about to expire, so you've got to be quick for those. As a Surrey Sports Park still looking for interns, and Cambridge Rugby Club um, are looking for an intern too. It's also worth noting, and I apologise because I'm probably a bit late now, but every single professional rugby and football club in the UK will take on interns each season. Just because you don't see it advertised doesn't mean there's no opportunity. It probably just means that they get inundated with enough applicants as it is that they don't need to advertise. If you want to find out more about opportunities in professional sport, then I highly recommend contacting teams and support staff to ask. And finally, I just want to highlight some interesting studentships currently up on the BASES website, including modelling of sprint running at the University of Bath and sympathetic activation during hypoxia at Bangor University, as well as two joint SNC studentship opportunities with Cheltenham Town and the University of Gloucestershire. And as for jobs, there are loads of positions available on the UKCA website at the moment. I'm not going to go through them all, you can look for yourself, but there's a large variety in terms of experience needed. Also, Munster Rugby Club have an opportunity with their academy as an SNC coach. Worcester Warriors are looking for a long-term athlete development SNC coach, also to work with their young players. The EIS are looking to hire a lead SNC coach to work with British fencing. Now, I love sword fighting and even thought about this one myself. So good luck to anyone who does decide to go for it. Oxford United are looking for a part-time sports scientist. And Exos have another position available as a tactical SNC coach, though that one's based in Nashville, Tennessee. As always, thanks for listening and uh, catch you again soon. Thanks for listening to the World Class Coaching Podcast. You can catch me on Twitter at MattDickinsSC. The show notes for each episode will be up on the blog over at purehealthpuresport.co.uk and obviously subscribe to the World Class Coaching Podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you prefer to listen. Keep pushing forward your development and tune in again soon.